This week, we're going to have a front row seat as the Lord increases his expectations of Moses and the Israelites in preparation for bigger, better things in our message today, which is called Sanctified Unto God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We come today, God, with a heart that's willing and ready to hear from you, Father. Thank you so much. And I know through the week you have spoken to me through this scripture, God, and I am begging you with all of my heart, Lord, that you would speak through me. That this not be my words, God, but the very words that you have chosen, God. I thank you so much for this opportunity. I do not take it lightly. And Lord, I pray that you help me, Lord, not to in any way involve this message with me. God, I pray this be straight from you. God, use us now. Bless us now. Give us what we need. And we're needy people in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Exodus chapter number 19. We're going to be through one verses 1 through 15 today. Um, verse number 1, it says, In the third month, uh, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim, and were come to the desert of Sinai, and had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. This is nothing more than a recap, kind of giving us an idea of where Exodus 18.5 left us, which is telling us where they were. Verse number 3, it says, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Notice a Moses, now Moses approaches the mountain, right, so that he can speak to God. Moses, is, his instructions that he receives are the fact that uh, his goal and what God wants to do is use him as a functional uh, and a, an intermediary for the Jews. He's to be a spokesman for God. And what's neat about this is that the fact that when we read this, it says here that when you want to hear from God, what you need to do is just simply go to him. The fact that he's, he's available, right? It says that he goes to him. All we need to do is go to God. Psalm 910 says this, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Psalm 34, 4 says, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Isn't it incredibly reassuring that when we're looking for God, all we need to do is search? Amen. He's not hiding himself. Yes. He's not behind a veil somewhere separated from us. He's simply waiting on us to come to him. Yes. Right? He reveals himself to us. He reveals himself in nature. I mean, you can look around the world and see his existence. He reveals himself through the circumstances of our lives many times. He then reveals himself through the people of God. And more importantly and most importantly, he reveals himself through the word of God, right? You want to see God? Look into the word of God and you will find him. Matthew 7, 7 and 8 says this, Ask then, it says, Act and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. To him that knocketh it shall be opened. The Lord's desire, his heart's desire, is to reveal himself to us. That's what it is he's working to do. And he wants to reveal who, really, who he really is, not who we think he is, not what the world tells us that he is, right? Not what religion tells us that he is, not what our imagination tells us that he is. You'll hear phrases from people that go, you know what? God is who I interpret him to be for me. Right? That's, you hear, that's, that's not an uncommon phrase to hear. It's ridiculous, right? It's ridiculous. Absolutely wrong. Revelations 22:13 says this, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Malachi 3, 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. God does not adapt to us. 
We adapt to God. And that's the way it is. We want the world to adapt to us because we're so self-centered, right? And the thing is, in order to seek God, guess what we have to have? A humble heart. A teachable heart. This arrogance that we have is ridiculous. Look in verse number 4. He says, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. The Lord is reminding the Israelites of how he not only delivered them from the oppressor, but he actually fought on their behalf. Right? Like the Israelites, sometimes we have a tendency to forget. Right? We need to be reminded of what God's done for us. As humanity, by and lies, man, we're really, really good at remembering what we don't have. We're very good at that. We're very good at being ungrateful. We're very good at feeling in, uh, like as if we are, what's the word you would say? Entitled. Thank you. There's somebody smart right in the front row. Perfect. Good thing I write this stuff down, otherwise we'd be in terrible trouble. As we talked about it before, bottom line is there's this, this mindset, right, that we believe we, we deserve so much. He then reminds them of how he made provision for them in the wilderness, and he compares it to an eagle with its young. When eaglets are young, they're defenseless. And they're vulnerable. And what's really interesting is the, the parent will sit in the nest and they'll open their wings up and they'll shield the child, shield the baby. And they shield it from the weather. They shield it from attacks. They shield it from everything. They defend it and protect it. And see, throughout this development of this eaglet, what's really interesting is that it's the sole focus of the parents to take care of it. They take turns feeding it. They come back and forth. If there's any concerns, they're constantly focused upon the success of this child. And then their ultimate success is when they see it soaring triumphantly through the sky, right? And see, that's God with us. God, as a parent, wants us to succeed. He's literally on our side trying to compel us to be successful. And he's doing that. He's done that for us, and he does it for the children of God. Look at verse number 5. He says, Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice. Notice the word if. If you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people for all the earth is mine. Listen to the incredible promise of God right there. Listen to what he says. If you will obey, he says, you will be, he says, you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. We see the focus here. What God has is a focus upon the Israelites. He wants to use the Jewish people. His desire is the fact that he's going to use them to reach the world. That's God's desire at this time. And what we're going to know, what we know as we study the Jews, is we're going to, the fact that we're going to see that they will not maintain this commitment. They're not going to keep this promise. They're not going to maintain or hold on to this promise. Eventually, they're going to get so religious, and their religiosity has become so important to them that they're no longer going to be able to even hear from God. There will be a time when Jesus Christ, the human form of God, will speaking the word of God to them, and they will not be able to hear it. He will call them blind guides. Psalm 20, if you go to Matthew 23, man, it's talking about the fact that they cannot hear from him. And he's making promises to them, and we'll see eventually what happens when it works these promises. The Lord's plan is still to reach this world. And guess what? He will use a handful of Jews to do it. He'll use a handful that did listen, right? He has a special place in his heart for the Jews, but I want you to notice the back part of that verse, and it says, for all the earth is mine. The Lord's desire is not only to sanctify the Jewish people, but also to sanctify the whole world. He wants to set aside the world. He wants to, to have people come to know him, right? If they will just follow the wisdom of God and live accordingly instead of following their own wisdom, they'll be blessed beyond measure. And that sounds so easy. Well, gosh, of course I'll do it God's way. Yeah, absolutely. The problem is, as human beings, we have an overdeveloped sense of self. We think a lot of us, do we not? If we're honest, yeah, we do, man. We think we're pretty special. And it's this self that feeds our pride, 
It feeds our arrogance and ultimately our rebellion against God, which leads to what we call sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Come short of the glory of God. Now, it says we've all sinned. In ancient times, when an archer would fire at a target, and he was shooting to hit the mark, and he missed the mark, it was called a sin. That's what it meant. When you miss the mark, it's a sin. I have something I'm going to show you on the screen. So if this is the glory of God, and that's what we're shooting for, right? That's what our life's supposed to be focused on. And every day we're taking shots through our choices. Some days we might hit the glory of God. But that verse clearly says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Meaning, guess what? We all miss the mark. Amen. We try. Amen. We're firing for it. But doggone, I just miss more oftentimes than I hit, right? Amen. And that's us, right? So we deal with this every single day. So all God is asking them to do is to follow his ways instead of their own, right? But if we have an overdeveloped and over uh, sense of importance, then guess what? We tend to think that we know best, right? If you've ever spent any time around a teenager or a preteen, right? <laughs> Someone who thinks they know best, right? They have no life experience, yet they're going to tell you how to do things. I'm like, oh, okay, this is reasonable. Sure, okay, right. But it's silly, but guess what? It's the reality, right? And that's what God dealing with us. God already knows everything, and yet we have this mindset that I know better than he does. It's silly and ridiculous. So the God of the universe makes a proposal and promises of his loyalty and incredible provision if the people will just be loyal to him. God wants to use their lives, and guess what? He wants to use our lives. That's this whole thing. That's the purpose why you're here. And that's why I was talking about today about change. Because our self is so developed and our self is so important to us, and because we're so focused on what we want... And we can take the world and we can twist it into a self-centered mindset. And we can take things that should be godly and we can make them about us. And it's amazing how it happens. But bottom line is, as this takes place, you and I have to constantly have to fight this battle. God, change me to be more like you. God, sanctify me. Set me apart. Don't let me absorbed into this world. Don't let me be comfortable in this. Allow me, Lord, to be uncomfortable in what's comfortable to the world. Help me to become a peculiar person. That when people don't see me, they don't see a reflection of this world. Amen. They see a reflection of this book. Amen. Lord. You can listen to all the messages you want to. You can listen to preaching. You can read the word. But if you don't let it change you, you're wasting your time. And I hear people all the time, well, I need more of this. I need more of this. I need more of this. No, you need to apply what you know and use it. That's the biggest problem we have in the world. A lot of us know what to do, but we will not do it because we're too important. God's saying, look, it's not about you. Amen. It's not about you. Verse 6, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. Listen to this. And a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. The Lord continues to paint the picture of what this loyalty will afford them. He is offering them a place of honor in his kingdom and an opportunity to live in fellowship with him. God's desire is to make them a part of his plan for reaching the world. He wants to make them a part of his love, right? And there will be a time, and guess what? These Jews, it's, the focus will be on the Jews. For There's a long period of time where the focus is on the Jews, it's on the Jews, it's on the Jews, but that will transition. That will transition. Look in Matthew 10, verse 5. It says, we can see that God's attention, in this verse, we can see that God's attention points, the focus is here is still pointed towards the Jews in Matthew 10, 5, and 6. These 12 Jews... These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, this is God telling Jesus, telling the Jews as he's sending them out, go not into the ways of the Gentiles. Don't go to the Gentile world. That's anybody that's a non-Jew. 
and into any of the cities, city of the Samaritans. A Samaritan is a half Jew, half Gentile. Enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He says, your attention is to be focused solely upon the Jewish race. That's what you're to do. But guess what? After the Jews reject the Messiah for the third time, when they kill Stephen, after, Jesus, after he pours his heart out to them and he tells them who he is and who Christ is, and they murder him right there on the spot, and they turn their back on God for the last time, that's it, man. They don't have another shot. It's not the focus is no longer just on the Jews. And we'll see a transition that takes place in the book of Acts. In Acts 9, 15, Ananias receives this message from God. It says this, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he, talking of Paul, he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. I was focused on the Jews, and I gave them a shot, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried, but they would not turn to me because of their selfishness, their rebellion, and their sense of self. And because of that, Paul will be now reaching the rest of the world. And guess what? That's how you and I got to be a part of the story. How awesome is that? As believers, whew, we've been adopted in the family of God through the faith of the Lord. And now we get to fulfill the role that he's talking about. Check this out. Look what 1 Peter says in 2.19-2.12. Speaking to us, he says, But you are a chosen generation. Notice the wording. A royal priesthood. Notice the wording. And a holy nation. A peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him. Christ, who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, saved your soul. Which in time past were not a people. Except you, were, you were the Gentiles. You were out of You weren't into this but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, he says, look, I beseech you. I beseech you means I beg you. I beg you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust. Don't live in this that war against the flesh. Having your conversation, your conversation it means your lifestyle, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak, speak against you evildoers, as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. They may talk bad about you, but when your life says nothing more than shine the light of Christ, there's nothing they can do except for give glory to God. That's, a, that's just to us. As children of God, we're ambassadors to the lost world in our words and in our deeds. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Remember, we're trying to give glory to God. We're trying to hit the mark. Give glory to God. Live for Him. Live a life that's exemplary to Christ. If this broken world is to know who the Lord truly is, it will be through His Word being shared with love and through the testimony of our life. And there may be some of you sitting there going, you know what, this sounds great. I agree with everything you're saying. But you know what it does? It goes here. And it doesn't go here. Our testimony is extremely important. The way we live is extremely important. The things we say are extremely important. People are watching us whether we realize it or not. Our kids are watching us. Our spouse is watching us. Our fellow members are watching us. People in the world where you go to the grocery store, they're watching us. And you know what they're looking for? They're looking for a peculiar person that shines the light of the Lord in their life. Ephesians 4.15 says this, But speaking the truth in love and may grow up into him, talking about Christ in all things, which is the head, even Christ. 1 John 3.18 says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let's be real. Verse 7, 
And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their eyes all these words which the Lord had commanded him. Man, the people listen intently. He tells them all that's going on. And they're like, man, this sounds great. We get to be a royal priesthood, a nation. This is, fun. This is awesome. Great, we're in. Now check this out, verse number 8. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken we will do. Man, listen to that commitment. Man. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. We are all in, man. We can see in this moment that they are 100% committed to living for the glory of God, denying self and submitting to the Lord. That's their desire, right? This appears to be absolutely genuine. The problem is they're not going to maintain that commitment. How many of us have ever made a commitment to either do or maybe not do something before, right? Diet, going on a diet. I'm committing, man. Save money. Tony, we're doing this is it. This is our month. We're saving money. This is the month, right? Going to the gym. I got that. Man, they got that free trial, 30 days. Dude, I'm going to go tear it up, man. You, in 30 days, honey, you don't got to recognize me, right? I'm in, right? Quit smoking, whatever it is, right? Committed. And in the moment, are we committed? Oh, man, we're locked in, dude. It's 100%. You can already see the success in our minds just like they can here. We will do this, man. We're all in. The problem is that the commitment many times does not last because guess what happens? Self. Self. And what's really interesting is during these times, you know what? People that love us, guess what they'll do? They'll support us. Honey, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm going to the gym. Okay, sweetheart. I'm going to set my clock, too. We're going to get up at 5 a.m. Okay, 5 a.m. We're going to do it. And the clock goes up at 5 a.m., and your wife's like, honey, it's 5 a.m. Yeah, yeah, I know it's 5 a.m. Weren't you going to the gym? Sure, I don't want to talk about that today. I've, I got a lot going on. I just need a little extra rest. Right? It's amazing. We can make up all the excuses in the world. 5 a.m., 5 a.m. Well, Eric gets up at 4.30 in the morning to go to the gym. But for most of us, we get up a little early. But it's hard to do sometimes. That commitment, even though we can make it in our minds, sometimes following through is not so easy. But we see that God does the exact same thing. He tries to support them in making this decision. Remember, he's rooting for them. He wants them to succeed. Verse number, verse number 9, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud. We know that a cloud is the presence of God. Thick cloud, the, 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 the clear presence of the Lord. It says that the people may hear from, it says, look, that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. He says, look, I'm going to even let them hear me speak to you. I'm going to let them hear audible sounds as I communicate you, can communicate with you. What we see is a God that is trying to give the children of Israel the very best chance to succeed. He wants them to do well. He's working to increase their faith by allowing them access to his words. Isn't that interesting? Because guess what? He does the exact same thing for us, allowing access to his words. Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7 says this, The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tr tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Not only has God preserved his word for us, but then he's given it to us in our language. For goodness sakes, he's giving it. He's giving them all that they need to succeed. And guess what? He's given us all that we need to succeed. He's made accessible his word. It will not be, right? Their success or their failure will not be determined whether or not the tools are available. Their success or failure will be based upon the fact whether or not they choose to use the tools and that they choose to listen to the tools, right? And that sounds so familiar because that's us. 
We can read the Word of God, and we can know the Word of God. You can recite the Word of God, but if you don't let it affect who you are and change your lifestyle and change your attitude and change your fears and your doubts and all this stuff, then guess what? It's just words. Because it's not written so that you have knowledge of it. It's written so that it changes us into who we're supposed to be. That's the point. Remember, the, the Israelites are a picture of us. That's why this seems so familiar. And then God goes a step further. Look at this, verse number 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. The Lord's instructions are to prepare the people for his coming. They are to be set apart, cleansed, and purified for the meeting. And guess what? That's what the Bible's talking about all the time. Pointing to, in fact. Because the Bible points from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, points to one thing, points to the second coming of the Lord. It points to the return of God when the Lord will receive the glory that he deserves when he sets foot on this earth. On the Lord's day, on the Lord's day. And he says here in verse number 11, And be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people unto Mount Sinai. The third day is a recurring thing. You'll hear it again and again and again. Shows up again and again and again. Genesis 1, verses 9 through 13. Then the third day, it says, life appears, guys. Life appears. It is dead. It's a dead rock. On the third day, guess what? That's when life introduced, is introduced to the planet Earth. From death to life on day three. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4 says this. For I deliver unto you, first of all, that which I also received, now that Christ died for our sins, cleansing of sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. There's a cleansing there. There's a life. There's a death to life here. The cleansing of sin is pictured in the ceremonial washing of their clothing. The Lord is coming to show himself openly to the people. The purpose of which is to strengthen their faith, right? He's going to strengthen their faith. That's the reason why he's doing this. And also deepen their respect for him. And at the same time, guess what? He's going to establish some boundaries for them. Look at verse number 12. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take, take heed to yourself that ye go not into the mount, to touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall be surely put to death. We see that not only does God set the boundaries, but what's also interesting is he makes sure to tell them what the ramifications of breaking the boundaries are, right? He doesn't just tell them not to do it. He explains what's going to happen if they do. God never creates limitations or boundaries for the sake of controlling humanity. That's not the purpose. It's not the purpose at all. He creates them for the purpose of protecting them from the negative ramifications of sin, right? When you go to a playground, a playground does not have a fence around it to limit the fun. It has a fence around it to limit the danger. That's the purpose. And the problem is, because we're so self-centered, we think that the fence is about us. Well, that fence is just to stop me from having the fun that I want to have. I want to be out there, because it looks like a lot more fun out there, right? We always want what we, want what we can't have. Right? I had a friend of mine who was telling me about they had a goat farm, and they said they took such amazing care of their grass and their goats. And he said but it was amazing because the grass on the other side of the fence was dead and terrible, yet the goats would go and stick their head through the fence to drink, eat that terrible grass when their grass was incredibly green. It's the nature of, of life to want something we cannot have. And what happens is by those boundaries, God says, look, I don't want you to do this. We go, well, I need to do it. I need to experience it. And God's saying, look, I'm trying to protect you. I'm trying to protect you. Boundaries that are established with a motive of love are always based upon protection. As parents, when you set a boundary for your child, you're not trying to limit their success. 
You're trying to help them to be successful because you're protecting them from what could just potentially destroy them. It's their lack of knowledge and their sense of self being so grown up that they can't listen to the outside wisdom of someone else. And they get so focused on the fact that they know best. That's what we struggle with. Verse 13, there shall not a hand touch it, but he that shall surely be stoned, it says, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mountain. Notice that these offenders are so, so uh, dirty at this point. They're so, they're so sinful at this point that they won't even touch them with a sword. It says that they'll be hit with a stone or they'll be shot with an arrow. Literally, everything's going to be from a distance. It's that important. This is such, a, such an impact. The instructions to the people are to keep their distance and reverence and obedience to God until they are invited by way of a trumpet blast. And notice the wording it says, they shall come up to the mount. Come up. Can we think of another trumpet blast that's in the Bible? And guess what it says in Revelations 11 too? Come up hither. Come up hither. We can think of that reference there. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 52 and 53 says this. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. That's talking about the rapture of the church. And guess what was important for the church is that it be sanctified before the rapture, that it be set apart for God's use. This picture we see in the Old Testament is telling us what's coming before. It's telling us what's approaching. And we're so focused on self, we're so focused on fulfillment that we miss the whole thing. God's saying, look, my return could be now. That trumpet could sound any second. And he goes, and I want you to sanctify yourself, but no, I want this, and I want this, and I want this. The same garbage we see with them is the same garbage that we're filled with. We live in a Laodicean period of people that are fed with this world, and we live in a country that fulfills all this garbage to us that draws us away from God. Amen. And he's saying, I need you to sanctify yourself. Set yourself apart from this culture. Don't be like the world. Be like me, because I'm returning. And when I come, I want you to be able to come to me. In verse 13, what we see here is the fact that they don't come to God on their terms, but they come on his terms. Yes. John 14, 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and life. And notice it says, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 6, 44 says this, no man can come to me except the Father which hath, drawn, which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up that last day. So our ability and opportunity to come to God is because he calls us. It's on his terms. Look at this, John, 1 John 4, 19. He says, we love him. He says, we love him because he first loved us. Amen. God's desire is to reach the entire world because he loves us. This is glaringly obvious. If you go to the word whosoever, look it up in the Bible and find out how many times if you relate it to salvation, it shows up. We see it in Matthew 7, 24. We see it in Matthew 10, 32. We see it in Matthew 12, Matthew 12, 50. Matthew 16, 25. Mark 3, 34. Mark 3, 35. Luke 9, 24. Luke 12, 8. John 3, 15. John 3, 16. John 4, 14. John 11, 26. Acts 2, 21. Acts 10, 43. And Romans 10, 13. Every one of those says, whosoever, 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 talking about salvation. His love is for the planet. It's anybody. Whosoever means anybody in this world who's willing, who wants him, he'll receive him. He's not going to prejudge. He's not going to decide who deserves and who doesn't. He goes, look, I love them all. I love them all. Amen. And if you're broken and you're saved today and you go, you know what? I'm off course. Great. Guess what? Whosoever will come, he will restore you. Whosoever will come, God will build you. God wants to use your life. 
1 Timothy 2, 4 says, Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? It's God's love for humanity and his desire to redeem us that drives him. Verse number 14. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people that they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come down at your wives. And that's interesting because he talks to me, he says, look, even though it's legal for you and it's not against the, against the law for you to go be, have a relationship with your wife during this time, he says, look, I want your mind to be so focused upon me that I don't want any, any carnality. I don't want anything. You wash your clothes. You get your life right. Be prepared because we're going to have a close encounter. Throughout this Exodus story, we've seen the loving hand of God guiding his people towards a path of redemption. He started by teaching them, first of all, we went back in our stories, reverence. They had to learn reverence, right? And once they learned reverence, then they had to shift into obedience. And once they learned a little bit of obedience, God says, you know what? Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to switch you into sanctification. Having to be set apart so that I can use your life. Guess what? Today his mission has not changed and neither of his methods. The world was wicked then, and guess what? It certainly has not gotten any better with age. I think we can all agree to that. It's just as wicked as it was, if not a whole lot worse. God's desire was that his people through their godliness, would stand out as different from the rest of the world. And that's still his desire today. In 2 Timothy 2.21, he says this, If a man therefore purge himself from these, when he says these, he's talking about false teachings, and he's talking about worldly wisdom, the wisdom of the world. He says, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. Notice the next word sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. He says, if you will do this, purge yourself of these things of the world, sanctify yourself, set yourself apart, live for me, you will be ready to be used by me. I created you for that purpose, and you cannot be used until you do these things. If you're a child of God, he's already created a pathway of redemption through Christ. And now his desire for us, we would submit ourselves to him. <laughs> submit ourselves to his love. Come to him in love. Not in fear, not in doubt, but in love. Because guess what? He loves you right where you are. He loves us in our broken state. He loves us in our doubts. He loves us in our fears. He loves us in our inability to do right. And no matter where we are, he's willing to come to us. Amen. And all you have to do to find him is just look. Just look. No matter how dark of a hole you may be in, he says, if you just look, I'm here with you. The devil will lie and tell you you're all alone. And he'll do his very best to shield God from you. But the wonderful thing is we see him in nature. We see him in people. We see him in circumstances. And really, you know what, if you want to find him, if you just look, you'll find him. He's there calling out to us because his whole desire is that we be sanctified unto God. If we are, praise the Lord. Keep doing it because you know what, it's a daily fight. But if we aren't, it's not because God didn't tell us how. It's because we choose not to be. When it comes down to it, it's our choice. He's not going to force it upon us. He's going to give you every opportunity to succeed. He's there as a parent cheering us on to a sanctified life that can be used for his glory. And he's, trying to, he's fighting the devil. But the problem is he's not going to keep him if you open the door to bring the devil into your life. 
He won't hold him back. We've got to be accountable to God, not to self. Try to fulfill not you. Try to fulfill him, and you will succeed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for today. Thank you for the message, God, about sanctification. Lord, help us, uh, Lord, to truly be mindful of the fact that, God, our world is trying to focus us on so many things that are not of you. Help us, Lord Jesus, to set our hearts aside, set our desires aside, God, that we might fulfill the things that you have for us. And the wonderful thing is, God, that you tell us that you'll make us a royal priesthood and holy nation. You'll bless us so abundantly if we'll just simply get out of our own way. We are our biggest enemy and that Satan uses, uses our very selves, our very sense of self against us. Lord, help us to submit ourselves to you, Father, that you might do a great and mighty work, not only in us, but Lord, what's wonderful as you do a mighty work through us. And God, we can live a life that we'll be truly pleased with and thankful to stand before you one day. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor? I have stuff in my life that I know I need to address. There's some areas that I know I need to be sanctified in. I need to do a work in my heart that I can surrender myself to his, to your perfect will. If you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, I'm struggling with something. Look, I don't want to know what it is, and I don't care what it is, but I do want to pray for you. If you're struggling with something right now and you say, you know what, I know I need sanctification. I know I need to work on this, and I need help. Pray for me, Pastor. If you will raise your hand so I can pray for you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to remember your name. I don't remember anything about it. Do not be afraid. Do it in honor of God. Raise your hand. You're dealing with stuff. I guarantee you almost everybody in this room is dealing with stuff. I'm going to raise my hand because guess what? I'm in the pack too, and I'm praying for me like I'm praying for you. We're all in the same fight, fighting the same many who wants to destroy us. And if you're here today, you can put your hands down. If you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, I don't have a relationship with God. Maybe I believe in God. Maybe I've read the Bible. Maybe even I pray to God. But I don't know that I have a personal relationship with Him. I don't know God like I wish I could. I want to know Him. I want Him to be there for me. Sometimes I feel dark and alone. And you know what, I don't know that I know where He is. But I'm going to promise you this. If you call out to Him and if you seek Him, you will find Him. And if you're here today and you want to receive him, I'm going to give you that opportunity. If you're online and you're watching us wherever you are around the world, it doesn't matter. If you're in the overflow room, it does not matter. It doesn't take a preacher. It doesn't make anything special. It takes a matter of your heart with God's heart. His desire is that you know him. His desire is that you know him personally. And he's done all that it takes for you to receive the greatest gift. When Jesus died on that cross, he paid for the sins of the world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God wants to save you right where you are. And it's a matter of you being willing to receive his gift of salvation. I'm going to lead you in prayer. It's not a matter of the words. It's a matter of the heart. If your heart wants to receive Christ by faith, he will come into your heart and he will save you right now. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, I'm going to lead you in prayer. It's not the words of the prayer. It's your heart God's listening to. Pray with me if you want to receive Christ as your Savior. Repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. I've let you down and I've let myself down. And I'm asking you to help me. You died on the cross for my sins. And I'm asking you right now, by faith, to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins, to pay my sin debt, 
and give me a home in heaven. I'm trusting you for my, for my forever. And I love you. Thank you for loving me. I will see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.